1: People respond saying, I know you're trying to sell me something today, yet I read the entire thing and I read it five times this week and you're trying to sell me something five times this week. Why am I
0: opening your newsletter if I know I'm going to be sold? Copywriting is one of the most valuable skills that any creator can learn. And today I'm talking to a legendary online copywriter who cut his teeth by writing emails for Noah Kagan and AppSumo. His emails were horrible.
1: And I was like, I just found this email stuff like called copywriting. Let me try applying it to your email
0: list. And we did highest sales day on AppSumo ever. That success led to Neville creating an online course in 2012 called Copywriting Course. And that online course has generated more than $2 million in sales in just a couple of years. So many people were asking
1: about it. There was just so much demand. You could just tell in the... Uh, the anecdotal results from the replies to the email like, why am I reading this? How are you doing this? Why is this so funny to me?
0: So in this episode, you'll learn how you can get better at copywriting, how copywriting course has evolved over the years, why Neville is leaning more into community, and the other opportunities that he sees and has his eyes set on for 2023 love to hear your thoughts on this episode as you listen find me on twitter or instagram at j tag me let me know that you're listening or watching and if we're here on youtube leave a comment subscribe to the channel that's enough from me let's talk with neville
1: I was running a rave company, so I've never been to a rave in my entire life, and I was running a rave company in college and then after college called House of Rave. I don't know if it exists anymore. I sold it in 2011, and it was an e-commerce company. It was drop shipping, which back then, innovative idea. Now, it's like very obvious, and around that time, I was I had all these uh, emails, and I was going to this thing. Uh, my friend David Gonzalez in Austin did this thing called Internet Marketing Party, and all these people there were like, my email list is my ATM. Email is where the money is. All that crap. So I had about 7,500 customers um, on the email list and I never emailed them. So I started sending out emails in newsletter format, which like big images, buy now buttons everywhere, thinking like, man, this is going to get a lot. It actually lost money. So I spent 80 bucks a month on the service to send out emails. And I made about 40 bucks a month sending out the email. <laughs> yeah, but not to mention all the lost time and everything. And so from that, I was like, I guess email is not that great. And then another buddy was just like, you should read the Gary Halbert letters called the Boron letters. Sorry, the Boron letters by Gary Halbert. I read that and I was like, huh, maybe I'm doing the selling stuff all wrong. And that's what I learned in the term copywriting. What are the boron letters? The Boron letters were Gary Halbert, this famous copywriter, kind of a shady guy, not super shady, but a little bit. He was a direct marketer in the seventies and eighties, and he wrote these letters from jail because he was arrested for mail fraud for his direct response. He obviously gives the, the reason why he thinks he's in jail, but hey, there's always two sides of that story. So, uh, so it, it's, it's a little bit of a controversial thing. It's a little bit dated. Just remember, if you do read it, it's, a uh, you know, three decades old. So just take that to heart. And he wrote these on how to sell. And I printed them out uh, on the request of my friend and read them. And it's kind of crazy how he gets you to go to the next page. Like he'll leave a story hanging at the end of the page and be like, and the reason that I made so much money was, and you're like, shit, I got to turn the page. Then you turn the page. He's like, see, I knew you would come here. And you're like, oh, he got me. And so I learned all these like different little psychological hacks from that, that letter. And it was fantastic. So many copywriters have got their start from the boron letters. They're free online. And so I started reading that. And I was like, let me send out a newsletter for house of a sale based on what he's teaching. So I sold one product. I told people different uses of the product. It didn't even have any images. And last all my other newsletters had tons of images. And it was one of my highest sales days ever. And I was like, huh, that can't that, that's interesting that that happened and overnight house of rave turned from an seo company hoping just people found us on seo and, and bought to an email marketing company that's where most of our income came from then i uh noah kagan one of my good buddies who you may know he started building app off my couch and it was kind of taken off but his emails were horrible and i was like i just found this email stuff like called copywriting let me try applying it to your email list and we did highest sales day on AppSumo ever and then we did it again and again and again, and eventually hired a bunch of writers to replace myself. And so from there, a bunch of people were reading the App Sumo newsletter. I didn't have my own newsletter at the time, and I was writing all of them. And people would respond saying, I know you're trying to sell me something today, yet I read the entire thing. And I read it five times this week. And you're trying to sell me something five times this week. Why am I opening your newsletter if I know I'm going to be sold? And that was the most common question we got. And I was like, well, there's this thing called copywriting. And of course, I was answering this question a hundred times. So I was like, let me put this on video. And we ended up selling it as a thing called Copywriting Course. And I think circa 2012, the original version came out. It was just really to answer all the people's questions of like, why is this? Why am I reading this? And I could be like, hey, just buy this and watch this and it'll tell you why. And so that's how Copywriting Course came about and it ended up becoming its own company.
0: You're telling the story and I'm having this this funny thought where I think I'm a genius with your previous <laughs> business. Did you use the term raving fans? Raving? Oh, man. See, now I wish I could go back in time and use that. <laughs> it would have changed yeah, the I, whole thing. Wouldn't have sold it in 2011. Still be running it. Be a completely raving, different course. <laughs> the interesting thing about this, though, I think a lot of people, when I talk to them about uh, the power of email, they're like, eh, it doesn't apply to my business. These people don't read emails. You wouldn't necessarily think that people go into raves are opening their email, buying things because of email, but they are. It seems like this universal connection point. People still open emails, read emails, and for the most part, it doesn't matter what your niche is, but uh, curious if you've seen the opposite.
1: Maybe this might be a little side tangent on that story, but like, here's something interesting. So I would respond, I would send out these emails and actually got some good advice. So what happened is ravers are 16 years old and have $0. So imagine their budgets for stuff. They buy $20 worth of stuff. They ask 9,000 support questions Mm. and, uh, and, and they're just, they're just very anxious about their order and all that stuff. Then I realized I would get a couple big orders from party planners and wedding planners. And I started realizing, especially from like the Gary Halbert letters, I'm like, what is your actual target audience? And I was like, well, ravers have no money party planners have unlimited money. Mm. And so like MTV bought stuff for me, like thousands of dollars with the lights for Battlestar Galactica or or sorry, whatever ABC ad or whatever the network is. MTV bought a bunch for like an award show. And I was just like, Oh, party planners are where the real money is. So I actually started noticing like, okay, I need to shift my target audience from rave to actual party planners. And so that was another thing. I just started learning just about the psychology of selling. And it's just like, who's actually buying your product?
0: Man, all right, I'm going to take this tangent one step further because something I've been thinking about lately is in in my audience and the audience of my friends, almost no Gen Z unless they're big on TikTok. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking to myself, like, is it because we aren't attracted to marketing that audience because they don't have money yet? Or is it because there's a fundamental disconnect between how we're creating and how those people like to consume? And will they age out of that? Will the TikTok generation adopt email in five years, 10 years, or do we have to fundamentally change?
1: Yeah. I mean, a 15 year old doesn't have a house, doesn't have a mortgage, doesn't know what a 401k is, they're in a whole different stage of life. So yeah, one, they may not have a lot of money. I don't think that's the only reason. But I also think because like, they actually have a a good currency nowadays with social media, which is likes, retweets, shares, all that kind of stuff, which is nowadays very valuable. So those people are valuable. It's just that they're not in the same stage of life. They're not thinking about the same thing I am. I'm thinking about like, what's the best electric leaf blower outside? And, uh, you know, that, that is so far removed from what I was thinking when I was 15, right? I think that's probably the reason.
0: I think the answer is Ego. We have one of those. We bought it from, I think, like Lowe's. Big fan. Big fan yeah. of the Ego lawn, uh, leaf blower and lawnmower and uh, string trimmer.
1: Ah, shit. I went DeWalt. DeWalt. Ah, well, that's I mean, that's, that's, a, that's, a,
0: yeah. <laughs> that's tried and true. They probably yeah. have some good copywriting. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that's interesting about these, uh, these letters, the boron letters, you're describing like a cliffhanger in mm-hmm. book form. And I know people talk about, like, open loops, but I've never heard of it, like, between chapters as, like, almost a television-style cliffhanger. Do you do that between newsletters or videos or how do you, how do you use that method right now?
1: Well, I think it's actually a very common thing in videos where with, with a YouTube video, what happens is people do a preview of what's going to be and show they're like, like, Noah will do like, uh, I'm going to knock on a bunch of yachts and they'll show like the biggest yacht. It's like, well, I run a, and then it's like, Hey, I'm Noah Kagan. And then they, they, so that's Ah, that's a similar version of a cliffhanger. The other place where I think you see cliffhangers every day, you might even use them is on Twitter threads, right? Mm. So people say, I became a millionaire by age 22 and here's how I did it. That's a cliffhanger because now you want to click on that next thing and get involved in the thread. So I think cliffhangers are pretty pretty common and a good way to kind of summarize why people should care about something. I used to think it was actually kind of like a scummy thing. Like if your content's good, they'll watch it. But actually what you're doing is telling them like why I should care. So if I want to say, you know, if I'm interested in why this person became a millionaire and how they did it, that's why I'm going to read that. And so it is giving you a little summary. But yeah, cliffhangers are all over the
0: place nowadays. They're, They're still there. How much do you think about that idea? Why should I care? Because that's come up for me a lot recently, and it's not language that people have historically used a whole lot, I, I don't think. Or maybe I've just started paying attention, but that seems to be the language I'm hearing more and more of like people want to care. Make me care. Why do I care?
1: Well, because there's more, I think there's more stuff out there, right? Like, I mean, growing up, there was, there was like a lack of a lot of content that you can get. And now there's unlimited content, right? There's so many YouTube creators, so many TikToks, so many Instagram, so many articles. It's difficult. You have to say like, you know, uh, I, I literally don't have enough time to watch all this. Why should I care about a specific thing? I think that's, that's, that's probably the reason why that's become more important. Also, yeah, I mean, you want you want to take time and effort to read things that are going to be applicable to you. So I think you should show why people care. Also, it's a good thing to uh, ask yourself about your own business. So, for example, we run a copywriting course. You have a community and people stay on for several months to several years. And I thought, like, you know, wh- why would someone buy that? Like, Let's say someone joins for a month and leaves. I'm like, for some people, that's actually sufficient, right? And so how can we make people stay for a year, but like actually want to stay for a year? What what will we do? Why should they care? And it's a great question to ask about your service.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah. It's such a great question to ask about your service. And I love what you're saying about reframing the the hook that we hear about with Twitter threads as a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. That actually just makes it like more fun for me to, to engage with and and ideate on. Yeah. <laughs> You're working with you're working with Noah on the copywriting for AppSumo. You realize that there's something here. It's working. When did it become an idea to make a course? Because I think you're talking about like the early 2010s. And I don't think courses Mm -hmm. were nearly as as widespread then.
1: It was like a, it was like a novel idea back then. It's like, whoa, you could record videos and sell them. Just remember, like, I mean, it's hard to understand now, but like back then YouTube was not really quite the platform it is now. No one thought about like growing on YouTube. YouTube was used more like a free video host. Like we couldn't share videos back then. And then YouTube was like, we'll just do it for free. And everyone's like, wow, a free video host is essentially what it was. And so we started packaging those videos and selling it. And the reason it came out was actually out of pure demand. And I think that's why it did so well. It became like AppSumo's like number one bestseller right away. And the reason was, so many people were asking about it, and not only so many people but so many business owners were like, "How can we do this for our own business right and how can we send out emails that people like to read plus also you know we can sell them each time and they they like being sold and so that's uh that, I think that 's why it did well. There was just so much demand. You could just tell in the uh the anecdotal results from the replies to the email. Like, why am I reading this? How are you doing this? Why is this so funny to me? All that kind of stuff. People asking questions like, do you put the sales at the top? Like well, your buttons are like this. What, what does that mean? And I was like, oh, this is a perfect to just go over all these top questions. So literally what I did was I took email responses and looked at everyone's top questions and made chapters out of that. That, that was the course, which still to this day is roughly the same
0: format. That's crazy. And I, I watched the presentation you gave at HustleCon like eight years ago. And <laughs> Sam introduced you and said that you had done two million in sales in the past two years. Was that real? Was that true?
1: Uh, probably. Yeah.
0: That's crazy. That, that, that
1: was from eight years ago. I don't know about those specific years, but but yeah, that sounds about right. Probably. Yeah,
0: that's crazy. Was anybody doing online courses to a degree like that then? Like, who were your models for this? People
1: were doing online courses. They were a thing. And I think actually the direct marketing community, which is like kind of the more shady, like direct response, like you should buy this. And there's like a 20 minute uh, video sales letter that doesn't say anything except gets you drummed up and tells you that the secrets behind these closed doors. I think they, I've always paid attention to that community, even though I think a lot of the stuff they sell is scummy, but they do interesting psychological things. And one of the things they were selling back then was like PDFs. Remember back in the day, you could sell a PDF? Totally. Yeah, yeah, you sell PDF for ninety-seven bucks. Now it's like I don't think that would really work all that well. And then (laughs) and then they started selling video courses, and I bought a couple because I was just like, I'm curious. Like, it's for example, this was interesting. You remember on Xbox, there used to be like this like red star of death or something. Like, if your Xbox red ring of death, death, yeah, yeah, it it was it was. I, I didn't play Xbox, but I knew about this. It would it would just totally brick your Xbox, and it was just done. And I remember a guy doing really well on ClickBank. Remember ClickBank? Uh, I think it's mm. it's definitely still around. A little, some shady products on there. But it was just killing it. And the number one thing was like a PDF on how to fix the red ring of death.
0: Oh my gosh, you put a towel around it.
1: And I remember thinking like, what a... What an interesting thing. Like, I mean, I feel like you could have just published that as a blog post, but they published it as a PDF, did a little bit of good marketing. And it's just like people really wanted to save their $400 machine. So spending 50 bucks to do it was, was pretty good. And back in the day, like YouTube, obviously of course, wasn't as fleshed out. So nowadays you could probably just search YouTube. But that was a that was a great opening, eye awakening thing of like, hey, I don't want to make all this content for free because it is it was difficult, especially back then, to make and edit videos and publish them and host them. It was hard, and so you had to charge something. That's where courses came about. I'm happy to uh, talk. You've done a community and all that kind of stuff, and happy to talk about like the evolution of courses because that's very interesting.
0: The fascinating thing to me about like that progression of you know selling a PDF and and then courses. We've had books for what centuries 1400s yeah maybe before that 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 medium isn't new to us anymore so like the pricing on an average book just continues to drop like we have expectations that like a book if it's going to be above 30 bucks like are you kidding me and Mm -hmm. yet there is a moment in time where we're like what a pdf i can download this thing yeah take a hundred bucks for it And then it became courses and it's like, oh, yeah, like this is hosted behind a wall, a couple hundred bucks, sometimes like hundreds or over a thousand dollars. And every time there's like a new modality for delivering information, cohort based courses, I think, are kind of in this space right now. There's there's like this newness that allows you to create higher perceived value on average, it seems I'm just wondering where that's going to lead, you know, like what's, what's the next thing?
1: It's, it's not even, I don't think it's even perceived. I think it's a technology thing, right? So it's not a human thing. Our brain is the same. It's just back at, so in the 1400s, the only way you could disseminate information was using a printing press, right? That was the only way you can quote unquote scale information. And then the internet came around and you're like, you'd sell a PDF. You could sell a text file, right? And then the internet got better and then you could sell video and then mobile phones became ubiquitous and then you could sell videos and watch them on your iPad, your mobile phone, your desktop, your laptop it doesn't matter and now obviously we have like things like watches and stuff which is not a great media consumption tool but i think the next one i wish i had my vr set right here because he's all time vr so vr ar is going to be a gigantic leap forward in education and then also just like some of the ai stuff too where it's just like you get personalized education instead of me saying, like, here's chapters I think you should learn. It could kind of read you and tell you exactly what you need to start with or skip. And so I think that's where it's going. And so every time there's a new piece of technology, it's hard to make content for that. Like right now, do you know how to make a VR game fully?
0: No, absolutely not.
1: Not really. The, the tools are still pretty rudimentary. It's pretty for, for very tech, techie type people. And so it's going to be hard to create those virtual reality experiences. They're going to be expensive at first, but then they will drop in price. And so I think just as tech moves forward, we get new advancements in that. And then at some point, we'll eventually end at the point, and this is decades away, where it's just almost like your phone. Like I download uh, the Zoom app on my computer and it just knows how to use Zoom. Eventually we'll probably be like, uh, download jujitsu and boom, you know it, something like that will be fully in the matrix. So where it's going, I don't know, maybe to that. But in the next few years, I can say what I'm seeing is, and I think me and you have a little bit of a jump on it because the technology is still kind of brand new. You uh, you have a, a community, correct?
0: Yeah, yeah, the
1: lab. And you use circle.so? so. yep. So circle.so is probably the only good community software I see out there. And the other ones are forums. So we went forum. And the reason is because we have to post like 20 pages on our, our things, right? So circle.so has small little blurbs that you can do, which is great for most communities. For ours, we have to post mm. a whole sales page mm-hmm. and then give feedback on it, right? And so we have to go the forum route. But the, the community software out there, I bet, Jay, you have not seen like really good community no, software.
0: I almost started one.
1: Yeah, it sucked.
0: Yeah, it was terrible. Like I, I tell this story now and it's people can't even wrap their heads around it. I got into this world because in 2017, I was facilitating online mastermind groups and I had to teach people how to download Zoom in 2017, not long ago at all. And then I had a Slack community on the back end because it's like, well, we want to talk more than once a week. I was so frustrated. I'm like, Slack is built for enterprise and the economic model makes no sense for community. And just in the last few years, we've seen... Circle and Geneva and Mighty Networks. And I think those three products are kind of in a race to build basically the same product, but it's gotten a lot better. And it's it's been a uh, material difference in my business this year, almost a third of the revenue that I've generated for the business this year is the community.
1: Well, another thing, there's some great community software out there you didn't mention. It's called Facebook. It's called Instagram. It's called uh, Twitter. And so a lot of the, so Facebook groups, by the way, is what killed forums on the internet. The internet used to be full of forums and then Facebook groups comes out and everything's better about it, right? Like you can join any group and you're already logged in. You can go on any device. You're already logged in. Forums blow ass on all this <laughs> stuff. They're just not good. The, the stuff we use, the, the one I use is like probably the best one I've ever seen. So it doesn't have a lot of those problems. But back in the day, especially forums are so bad that, pe- and you couldn't post really long stuff on Facebook. Facebook groups. But I think that was almost like a feature more than a Mm -hmm. bug. Like it it kept things small and interactive and you can chat really quick. And so Facebook groups is kind of where most groups are, but I think most uh, content creators like you and myself we want to own our content. We don't necessarily want it to be on Facebook. We don't want you to log on to our group and then also see a picture of your aunt's dog, right? That's kind of what Facebook does. And it's a little bit distracting. Also, uh, a lot of us don't like being on Facebook all day. I mean, nothing against Facebook. I just don't like being on it all day. And so we like running our own group and having control over it. And so I think you're going to see a lot more course creators go to like this monthly group community type thing. And the reason I think that that's going to increase is because the, the technology is finally, finally there. And you can charge a night instead of $97 for the PDF or $97 for a set of videos, you can charge $97 for a community Mm -hmm. of people where people meet each other, do projects together, have outcomes together. It's pretty fantastic. So it's not higher perceived value. It is higher value.
0: Yeah, totally. And there's most, most things that you want to learn and get better at. It's not like, Oh, I acquired the skill and now I have it. And I'm good forever. It's like, no, you actually need to continue to to upskill and learn the new things. And a community is actually a really good delivery mechanism to help you do that over time. After a quick break, Neville and I talk about how Copywriting Course has evolved over the years. And later we talk about his challenges and goals as a creator. So stick around and we'll be right back. If you know me, you know how much I believe in memberships. If you're interested in learning more about Uscreen, visit Uscreen.link slash J. That's dot link slash J, and let them know that I sent you. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Last year, my wife and I started talking about her joining the business full time. This is a huge decision, not just for the business, but for our marriage. My wife, being the very smart and thoughtful woman that she is, suggested that we proactively sign up for therapy as a couple. Welcome back to my conversation with Neville Medora. I wanted to talk to Neville about the evolution of copywriting course over the years, because when he started this in 2012, we didn't even have course software like we do today.
1: Funny story on that. The first password protection I had was like, I wasn't good at JavaScript. I knew how to do some. So I just looked it up and it was like literally like in the HTML, it would just read if you typed in the right password, which was in the HTML, if you just viewed the source, you'd see a simple script <laughs> that said like, if this is typed in this box, redirect them to this URL. And it was a URL that was just like, it was like copywritingcores.com slash XYZ82. It looked like it was randomly generated. Oh, in reality. Yeah just gobbledygook I made. And so that was the password protection. It was so shitty, <laughs> Yeah. And so, so originally it was a set of videos that you would watch, right? So a set of videos and a couple of PDFs that you downloaded. It's just like a typical course, uh, back in the day. And then I eventually made my own website for it. And then the website eventually had a blog on it. And then that started catching on. And then that ended up becoming the full-time thing. And then as of March this year, we went full forum, meaning, I actually got off of WordPress. So I used to publish on WordPress, then have my community as a separate thing. And then now what I do is the forum is the first thing you come to. Of course, there's different permissions. You can't actually enter the forum if it's private, but the point is we've moved away from this, like, just like I'm going to publish something and hopefully people see it to like, this is all community. It's just community first. I think you're going to see a lot of places like that. I believe your, your site is kind of like that too.
0: Yeah. Pretty similar. I mean, we we have the forum i actually have two community platforms which i would recommend to absolutely nobody unless you're an incredibly good copywriter and well here's here's the thing so with circle i think it's a great forum tool there are obviously limitations Mm -hmm. that limit somebody in a position like what you're trying to do historically i don't think that their their chat is very good like their real-time communication is just really lacking in my opinion so we Mm. use geneva And have one channel and it's just like a social hangout real-time fun thing there's one other space that just has a text-based post to say when to use this versus circle and it basically says never unless you just want to like chat and have fun (laughs) and that's been pretty effective but you really have to educate people and have a pretty tech savvy audience to have two platforms but yeah like the only way you interact with it really is is the forum itself. And, you know, even, even WordPress. So WordPress is the standard for people who don't WordPress
1: is what 40% of the internet runs on. And it's great for publishing stuff. But I think it's so stuck in 1999, like using WordPress in 1999 is the same as using WordPress today. In fact, I'd say today it's even worse because they've got these like weird editors they have to use. And it's, it's, it's all, it's all wonky now. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to deal with all this tech bullshit anyway, I'm just going to like go full forum in that case. And so one of the problems with using WordPress was I would publish my blog, but then on the forum, we have a cool, we have cool news feeds and top topics and new videos are added all the time. We have all these like interactive features that you would, you expect from something like social media. And it was very difficult to embed those things onto WordPress. Like you'd have to create custom widgets that embed and sometimes they mess up. And then when it goes to mobile, it looks all weird. And so I was like, let's just do that. And so you can actually go to copywritingcoursecom slash stats. You can see a feed of exactly what's going on. A lot of people will say like, we have an active forum. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to show you that we have an active forum. Like there's no lying. It's it's live updated. That's you can see that. You can actually see our website traffic. You can see swipefile.com traffic. You see all our social YouTube traffic and you can search, browse, poke, prod, whatever you want. You can see everything in there. We started doing stuff like that. And I think uh, open communities like that are going to be you know, the spirit of the internet pretty soon. Whereas before it was just, just really hard. Like you can't even share your Facebook group Stats Like you can't, yeah. there's no way to like really do that. And so I think that's going to be pretty fun. I think we've done some innovative things in the community.
0: You mentioned that this is one of the better forum technologies you found. What's the underlying forum that you're using here?
1: Envision community, but then heavily modded. So for example, a lot of these forums, every every platform you have, no matter what it is, Circle.so, Envision, anything, they're all going to have their pros and cons. And the, the, the cons about a forum is that they're designed to be forums. They're not designed to be blogs. And so the blogging features are very, like they exist but they're not good, and so we had to we had to build a lot of stuff. Like, I mean, just even pretty URLs. You know, it's just like I have a, want to say Jay Klaus interview. WordPress says J dash Klaus dash interview. Perfect. Most blogging software says copywritingcourse.com slash eight six five two three J. And you're like, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> and so, so we had to like build that functionality in. There's a lot of little, little dumb behind the scenes things that are not interesting to talk about here. But um, it, it, a lot of that had to be rebuilt for that reason.
0: So this is this has been a very material part of your income, if not the main source of your income for the last like almost decade, right?
1: Uh, yeah, I'd say consulting was actually a big part too. I haven't been okay. doing as much, but man, uh, uh, consulting is great. Are you still doing that? Yeah, I try to do it. Uh, well, so not as much. I try to cut it out just because the problem with consulting is that it relies on me and that it, it, uh, I only get money for that hour or for that project. Whereas with the business, everything I do, you know, can compound. Technically, totally. So I still reserve Tuesday as a consulting day. So if someone wants consulting, I send them a, a price sheet, they buy time and it's only on Tuesdays from like a certain time to a certain time.
0: That's interesting. And maybe I'll follow up on that. But what I wanted to get to was how have you marketed this course over time? Because, you know, in years four, five, six, when it's not necessarily new anymore, how have you kept interest up and, and gotten new students in the door?
1: Well, I've always been a publisher online. So I've always published. I had a blog called nevblog.com. It still is up, but it doesn't really do like it used to. And it was one of the first financial blogs. And so I liked publishing online already. And I did this for free before people knew you can make money on the internet. So I like publishing stuff online. So fortunately, uh, we got a lot of SEO traffic. I think just through social networks, uh, friends I know, all that kind of stuff, companies I'm involved in, people started hearing about copywriting course. And so they would sign up their marketing teams or solopreneurs would sign up to get their stuff reviewed or just learn to be better and optimize their stuff. And so fortunately through that, we did a lot of SEO stuff. So before, it used to be called Copywriting Course with K's. So before we changed the domain name, we were getting about 450,000 organic visits a month. Now we're down to about 52,000 a month, and I'm trying to get up to 200,000 this year. So that was a big avenue. And then the email list, there was constantly new people coming in through the email list. And the new thing that, I don't know if this is a segue or not, but the new thing is uh, we kind of reviewed where a lot of the the traffic and income and everything is coming from, and uh, the things I'm going to focus on, the social networks, are Twitter, number one, and then YouTube, number two. So I'm focusing on getting 100,000 followers on Twitter, 100,000 on YouTube by the end of the year.
0: Definitely going to talk about that. Why did the change to the URL result in such a drop in traffic?
1: Originally, that the reason was uh, we thought everything would actually go in place. So I bought the copywriting course uh, with C's domain. The person I bought it from was using it as like some kind of, not shady, but this weird affiliate site. And what what happened with affiliates, the affiliate world goes real dark real quick. And so what happens is they just put all these these links on porn sites and crazy sites, just like garbage, garbage links. And so we had thousands and thousands. And what we did was disavow, which means just like, say like, hey, these aren't ours. We said, these aren't ours. But they actually had some good links too. Like they had links from like CNN, AOL, like all those. So we're like, yeah, let's keep those. And what happened was we ended up hiring a very high-priced SEO consultant, and he actually discovered we found a bug with Google. I won't go into all the technical details of it, but we submitted the the, the bug, and it got resolved. We found a, a bug in Google, which was, to me, I thought that was kind of cool. That is cool. But it was funny, because actually like all the other search engines, such as Bing, actually redirected all our traffic. Uh, fine. Google missed. Anyways, so whatever the reason was, uh, that happened. And so a lot of our uh, traffic got dropped. Now, here's the funny thing. When you lose 450,000 searches a month in organic, what do you think happens to your business?
0: You'd think it'd it'd go down, you know, uh, nine times. (laughs) That's what I thought.
1: (laughs) So let me tell you, nothing happened. And I was, I was a little bit uh, dissuaded by this. And, and it was kind of interesting because we were, we always, like, I'm a copywriter. So I'm like, if I'm worth my salt at all, I should be able to write something that's technically the best article in the goddamn world. And that means I'll be number one on Google. So we were number one on those things. But here's the thing. A lot of our traffic came from calculators and generators. So for example, a big thing was um, I have a thing called the death calculator that predicts what you uh, tell you stats on when you're going to die. Now, do you think the person typing in, when am I going to die, is is really looking for like copywriting advice. No, that's not a good search. Uh, Another one that I have, I think it's still one of our top things, podcast name generator. So someone's just like, I would like to start a podcast. Let's see if there's a generator out there. They find our site. Do you think they're going to sign up for copywriting course? It's a far fetch, right? So there is conversion, but I'll tell you right now, podcast name generator converts at 0.02%. Wow. So of all the 10,000 visits I get from it a day, it's like nothing. And they're not even like relevant customers, right? And so for that reason, one of the things we're doing for the next iteration is I'm trying to get to 200,000 organic with a 2% conversion across all SEO traffic. So that's the the next uh, step. So relevant SEO traffic is good. Random search traffic is good for vanity numbers to say like, we have a million searches a month. But uh, ultimately, if it doesn't bring in uh, actual customers. Who
0: cares? I invested pretty heavily in SEO at one point last year and it worked really well. Articles ranked in the top three, traffic came, subscribers came. Unfortunately, most of those subscribers were in uh, uh, developing countries. And so even mm-hmm. with price purchasing parity on my products, like it wasn't really a good fit for them as customers, which meant it was mm-hmm. actually just increasing all of my bills <laughs> yeah. and, and and not like necessarily helping things. But man, that, that type of drop, I imagine in the, in the beginning, at least, that had to have been like a sickening feeling.
1: It was, it was not good. Yeah. It w- wasn't great. Well, the main thing was I wasn't so much missing the SEO traffic because I was like, I'm sure we can get that back. It was, it was the email uh, collection, right? So if you can imagine, like we were getting a pretty significant amount of emails from that. So that definitely dropped and now it's back up quite a bit. But we've also taken that as an eye opening thing of like, let's go through our top things and make sure we have custom downloads for each of those. And then also one of the uh, interesting things I'm trying to do by the end of this year, next quarter, I'm going to focus on it. We're actually building this out right now. I want to make the best damn email subscribe ever, like on any website. Uh, well, at least in let's say the copywriting space. So it's like everyone is up to the jig. Everyone knows that you grab people's emails now. Like no one doesn't know this anymore. And so it's just like I see this all the time and I'm like, yeah, I don't really want this. And so I'm going to say, how can I make it so good that people are definitely going to sign up their email? And so that's, that's the next step. So should have something out next quarter for that.
0: I love that. And that was my last question before we get into some of these goals that you had, which is because we're all on social media and to some degree, we're all, we're all creators and marketers. And I think that the general consumer seems more savvy. Does that make copywriting harder? Does it change the style you have to copyright? Does it matter at all? How are you thinking about this?
1: Does it change the style? Yes. I mean, is the copywriting course teaching different things than it did 10 years ago? Yeah. The psychology is all the same. The human brain hasn't changed in roughly 10,000 years. So that's all the same. But the actual methods. So for example... The, the different practices we have you do, the assignments. You know, 10 years ago, Twitter wasn't part of it. But now it's like, can you write a good tweet? Because it's actually harder than people think to write a very concise tweet. So those types of things have changed for sure. Absolutely. I think also uh, Balaji Shrivasanan coined this term. I don't know if he coined it, but he, he's the first place I heard it called full stack uh, market. Sorry, full stack influencer. So it's, it's someone perhaps like you or me that's doing your own producing, editing, writing, filming, edit, uh, everything above on screen to become. A producer. So I think in copywriting course, we go through, how can we make you a better communicator across all these mediums? How can we make you a better inside of a community? How can we make you a better uh, tweeter? How can we make you a better YouTuber? All those things are part of copywriting. So copywriting, I think in its traditional sense of like just written words, I think that's not, we've never only focused on that, by the way, what I think of copywriting is how do I get messages from my head to your head? How do I get messages from my head to a million heads? And whichever method, uh, medium, such as video or VR in the future, I'm down for. So that's what copywriting is. So it's kind of interesting. Copywriting is actually like expanded in its breadth, not contracted.
0: It it applies to even video and audio, even if you're not scripting. Like to me, it's- Have you ever edited a video with Descript? I have. uh, It's not my current workflow, but I have done it. And it's kind of wild. I
1: used to think video editing was like its own thing because you're editing like waveform illustrations and like pictures and stuff. The, the, the new The new generation of video editing is going to be like what Descript does. Try Descript.com, try it. It's pretty amazing. It takes your video and you edit the script and it does all the actual video splicing. It's actually come back to copywriting. I used to think it was a different skill. Now I'm like, no, it's back to writing now.
0: Have you trained Descripts to know your voice? Yeah. So you could just make it, we were talking before we started recording about your podcast and re- reading your newsletter. You could make a podcast where you're not actually recording at all. It's just trained on your voice.
1: Totally. It's, it's 100% in the cards in the future where people just write and then it, the, the the video. The video is made and then Dolly too makes the images for a video and everything. Yeah, it's like you just write and the computer makes all the rest. Yeah, it, it's, it's 100% happening.
0: That's all on the editing side, but you know, I, I feel like really great people on video, they're basically copywriting in their head or they, they understand some of the psychology and the points are trying to hit and they're just able to write verbally in real time. And it's remarkable because at the end of the day, like all the same principles of copywriting apply to whatever medium you're talking about. And if you can't do that type of performance on the fly, yeah, write it out, script it out. I still script the intros of this show.
1: Here's, here's like, like in copywriting course, we always try to get people to write. I say like, if you want to become a good welder, what do you think you have to do more of? like weld, right? It's, it's, it's a repetition type thing. So if you're writing a lot of tweets or, or tweet threads, let's say, you start noticing, oh, if I hook, if I tell people a hook in the beginning, I'll probably get their interest, which will be, make it easier for me to get them to stick around for the whole story and be interested the whole way. And so when you're telling a story in real life, you notice yourself taking that example. And instead of being like, Jay, dude, I found something, like I found this one community software that you're not gonna believe what it could do. And then you're gonna to wanna to hear the rest of that, right? And so you, end up, you start noticing yourself talking like that even more. Yeah. It's kind of funny as you start doing repetitions on Twitter or any of these platforms.
0: When we come back, Neville and I talk about his goals as a creator for 2023. So stick around, we'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Podcast Movement. For the past decade, Podcast Movement has organized the world's largest gathering of podcasters featuring thousands of attendees, hundreds of breakout sessions, panels, and workshops, plus several stages of curated programming from some of the top companies in podcasting. It's truly a unique event. And if you are a podcaster, I cannot recommend it enough. Right now, tickets are available at super duper early bird pricing. And as a creator science listener, you can save $50 on top of that by visiting podcastmovement.com slash science. That's podcastmovement.com slash science. Hey, welcome back a little bit ago Neville mentioned that his current goals include 100,000 followers on Twitter 100,000 subscribers on YouTube one audio episode per week and 200,000 organic visits per month. So I asked him how and why he came to those goals. So there's four goals specifically.
1: Twitter, number one, why is that at the top of the list? These are kind of like in order of importance. I never thought I would say this because Twitter used to be a joke. I mean, back in the day, 10 years ago, Twitter was like a joke. Uh, You're 16 years old talking about you ate toast for breakfast. That's what it was. Now, it is kind of like the, uh, the town square of the world, right? And so during the pandemic, I was watching a couple of people like David Perel was talking about writing. A couple of people really popped on Twitter. And I was watching and I was just like, I am on Twitter a lot. I don't really participate. All I was doing was sharing my blog post links. So essentially spamming my own Twitter feed. So as I started posting tweets, I started realizing the time from meeting people on the internet through Twitter to the time from talking to them in real life or over the phone. So just like you and me, which is Twitter is where we met, is so unbelievably fast. I have never, ever in my life, experienced that from Facebook Facebook. Instagram, LinkedIn, nothing, nothing even compares. And the type of people that I like are kind of people like I I go to, I go to uh, Silicon Valley every summer. One of the reasons is I like nerds. I like nerds. And all (laughs) Twitter is, is nerdy people. They're people that are not good on Instagram. They're not really good on YouTube, but damn, they're good at Twitter. And so that's, it's where my people is. And so I learn a lot, but not only that I meet people, I DM them, and then they come to my house and we co work. And so I've noticed it's so easy that I thought, okay, for all the things I want to do, for example, get better at YouTube, be on other people's YouTube channel, be on podcasts. Twitter, if you get more popular and mo- more notoriety on it, you start noticing it's just easier for everything. If I DM someone, I instantly get things back. I've had conversations with billionaires over DM. I've had conversations with celebrities. All these types of things are so much easier if you just have a large social following. And so that's why Twitter, I want to get to 100,000. I have That means I have to 4X my audience in five months, which... Is is the hardest goal on here, in my opinion, actually?
0: Yeah. The interesting thing about Twitter, and and by the way, to, to to your point you just made, not only can you interact with people that are hard to access. I lost my luggage on my honeymoon, and I swear to God, I got my luggage back because I made a stink on Twitter, and I actually totally. like interacted with the airline employee in mm-hmm. in DMs. They were so much more helpful than the actual baggage recovery people. It was insane. Anyway, the thing about Twitter is it's not necessarily harder to go viral or get a lot of reach on your tweets. People in that platform seem more hesitant though to follow based on one viral tweet or thread. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting in that way because other platforms, it's not necessarily the the experience. It's a lot more free flowing in terms of following. So what is your approach to uh, doing this Forex on Twitter?
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. I was talking about some people I know that are very big on Twitter. And it's kind of funny, it's like if you type in like how to grow on Twitter, like on Google, look at any article, it's probably all gonna be the same stuff. That's the way it's like, it's like how to grow an email newsletter, Google that and find those top 10 ways. That's how you do it. It's just the execution part is hard, right? And so one being consistently doing my greatest weakness, my Achilles heel, my whole life is consistency. I have to fool myself into working. I have to create a system. It's very important to me because I'm not a consistent person by nature. So I made a system in place. Someone is heavily incentivized to make sure that we hit this, that we, I'm using a, a thing called hype fury, where there's a bunch of these different schedulers, but I'm using Hype Fury, to schedule a tweet every day, schedule a thread all at least uh, several times a week. And so I'm using those and then also I'm participating a lot more. So I just, it's, it's part of my, my life. Another thing I'm doing is I'm meeting a lot of people. So for example, in two weeks, I am hosting a Twitter meetup. At my place, I kind of put the word out. I got a bunch of cool people and uh, they're coming. So that's kind of neat too. And then the other thing is learning how to hack the, the algorithm a little bit and hack people's brains. How can I tell really good stories? So there's some really good stories in my past life that I've just never told on Twitter. I just never thought to make them threads. And so we're putting more of those out. Whatever the top 10 ways to grow on Twitter, that's probably what I'm doing. But I think more importantly is I'm doing it consistently. So that has been going on for about one month. It hasn't been long. It was actually like mid-month in July that I kind of made this goal. So far, even in one month, I have seen just the amount of engagement you get on things and people reaching out and people wanting to say, hey, I live in Austin too, let's hang out, has gone up tremendously. And so hopefully I keep it up through the rest of the year. And what happens is with any sort of growth curve is what happens. It's slow at first, but then it compounds a little bit. So I'm hoping that happens. And I think this goal will be the hardest one for me to hit at the end of the year.
0: When you say one audio only podcast every week, you're saying that's different than the content you're putting on YouTube. You're not just pulling the audio out and putting it up.
1: Correct. And um, I think I'm pretty good. Like if, for example, if you said, hey, Neville, what's the deal with uh, taking taking notes or something like that? I bet I could tell you right now. I bet I could put out a little six minute spiel on why taking notes is awesome or bad. And I was like, what if I just record that? And so we have this big list of questions me and my assistant go through. And I'm like, can I just talk about something? I look through there and I'm like, I feel like I got it. And I just sit here at the microphone and talk. So instead of, hey guys, welcome to my YouTube channel. And then we do a lot of editing and put it out. These are very low effort types of things to go to my podcast. So I just made, I literally made this page yesterday, copywritingcourse.com slash podcast. It's just a feed of the podcast. You don't even really have to subscribe, but I would love it if you did and left a review. And so you can go there and just see the podcast. And if you notice, if you just scroll down the list, it says like podcast number 131, the stupid email. And every single podcast is the stupid email, my Friday email that goes out and I read it. That's the only thing that's been on my podcast for years. And so for that reason, it's never really grown. We're just like, it's just like an audio way if someone wants to listen to the email, but doesn't have time to read it. And so I was like, let me just try putting these out more and getting better at this format. And so I have some rules. You might find this interesting. I can only write it on a post-it note. That's Mm. it. These are my only notes I'm allowed to use. I'm such a note taker. I'm such a writer that when I write this, I'm like, I'm going to plan out the whole thing. I'm going to write the whole article. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm only allowed to write three bullet points, one line each. And then the rest has to be free form. Your brain has to get practice at this. And so I am making these different things. So the last one I wrote was about uh, calculators and generators on websites and talking about this, you know, like we just talked about before about the website traffic. And I was like, that's an interesting story. I could talk about that. So I did 11 minutes and 30 seconds on that. One shot. And I was like, let me put out more of these and just get better at storytelling. It's like a comedian going up on stage to do reps. So that's the reason I'm doing that. That one's more for me. Hopefully I can get the podcast going a little bit more, but at first it's just going to be practicing reps for me.
0: In my experience and now talking to a lot of podcasters on this show, even, you know, we've only been on YouTube for a couple of months now. I wish I would have done that so much sooner. Audio only (laughs) is the hardest medium to grow in my opinion
1: because there's no viral inherent growth in it there's no viral aspect to it
0: there's no discovery for sure but even shareability is so low it's so hard for someone who loves an episode to actually share that thing with somebody because what do you share you share the the link from the podcast player that you used chances are that's not even going to be the one that the the other person likes some players don't even give you episode specific links and if you do and you share it there's no Real sharing image, other than the same cover art every time, and that's not compelling.
1: I, I wish someone at Apple would listen to me. I have some friends that work there, but they're all engineers, and I'm just like, Apple, this is your chance to make a social network. You suck at social networking, but podcast is where you have everyone, you have the world by the balls here. And if they just added a like button, a share button, a link button, a comment button, it would be so much better. But they don't do it, and it's just like podcast has so much potential for this. But I think it just just Apple hold the controls on that. It's they had the biggest one and so uh i really really wish they would do it because podcasting would completely change
0: they had like a 15 year head start and they're gonna lose to spotify in the next year <sighs> i'm sure of it
1: <laughs> I just, apple has such <laughs> strong control i mean like if i if i pull up yeah i guess spotify is good i don't really use it as much but but i wish apple would do it
0: the the g- general market share is now about 50 50 so what's your insane. what's
1: your youtube strategy what's what, what's going on here why why did you get on youtube
0: well, because there's discoverability, you know, as big as the, the the podcast has grown, like the podcast audience still dwarfs the YouTube audience, but the speed to get there took two years and we're going to surpass that on YouTube in a matter of a couple of months. And the thing is, you know, something that I put into most of these episodes now is I have a short ad break where I say, Hey, by the way, there are more than a hundred other interviews like this in audio only. So it's mm-hmm. actually driving listens to the audio only show while being more shareable or discoverable and bringing in people on YouTube. I wish I would have done that.
1: Full stack podcasts, audio, video,
0: social. Yeah, I wish I would have done it, but the hard thing is, you know, it's a it's a remote show. So to do it in a compelling visual way, that's not just like a side by side, back and forth Zoom call, it takes a lot of uh, work and resources.
1: Yeah, I mean, I try. I tried originally. So I, if you, I don't know if your audience can see this. I guess we're on YouTube. But look, I can change around all the little uh, angles yes. and everything. Made a whole three setup camera. Like that's the uh, that's the little podcasting station back there. If you can see. Yes. And so it made that, and I actually did a couple uh, uh, interviews on my YouTube channel. And I was like, I'm going to do one of these a week. It was kind of like obviously inspired by like Joe Rogan, Lex Friedman, that kind of thing. I was going to do it about content marketing. It's really hard to get someone there, have a producer there at the same time. So you're organizing three schedules, yourself, your guests, and your pro- producer. Then you're also um, taking notes. I want to do a good job. So I'm researching my guests. I'm reaching out to the guests. They have to be in Austin. I have to invite them to my home. Then we have to edit the damn thing. It was really, really, really hard to put out these interviews. And I also pigeonholed myself into this like content marketing, social media type of uh, uh, question line. And so it was hard to get people. But with this remote thing, I can talk to you from wherever. And then also the, the recording now is so good that you could honestly make this a pretty compelling YouTube video now. Yeah. Before it was very hard. So I don't know. I would like to uh, work on the podcast a little bit more. I would love to have you on my podcast also and ask you some questions.
0: I'm in. I am in. Okay, well, last question for me then, Neville, is... What are you struggling with today as a creator? What feels like the biggest challenge for you to overcome? Is it just a Twitter thing or is there something else?
1: Ooh, interesting. I'd say consistency for me is always the biggest thing. I have some friends that are just, they, they love consistency. They like knowing where they go. I kind of thrive in chaos. And so having consistency has been interesting and learning how to incentivize people to help me. So for example, I know that I work harder if someone, I think someone's looking at my screen. So I have people mm. over to co-work all the time. And you know, one quirk I do is I'm like, can you work on the same side of the table as me? <laughs>
0: That's so stressful.
1: <laughs> well, it's, it's like we could we could even be several feet apart, right? We'd have to be right next to each other. But it's like, I think they're looking at my screen. So I'm not going to go on Reddit. I'm not going to goof off. I'm only going to do work. And I work so hard because I'm, I'm subconsciously trying to impress them with my work ethic. And if I'm home alone, I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to goof off. It's, just, it's so easy for me to goof <laughs> off all day. And um, so that's one thing. So whether I'm virtually sharing my screen or someone's uh, watching me, it's fine. And then also just knowing myself, um, I'm very good at using tools to automate things. I'm, I'm big on automation. So I'm like, how do I make computer Neville do a lot of the work and real Neville can just like goof off? And so that's why using a tool like Hype Fury or whatever, uh, a Kerr app or any of these things for Twitter is really good because sometimes I'm inspired to write a bunch and I'm like, oh, I got ideas flowing out and I enter those in a queue. So they go out every day. They drip out instead of all at one time. Using those types of tools has been great. And then the other thing is just learning the medium of Twitter, social media, getting better at that and iterating. It is nice to have someone else telling me like, Hey, you know, I don't think you did this good or your audio was bad on that. It is nice to have like feedback like that. So if anyone out there wants to say, here's why you suck, uh, please let me know.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you, this is the other magic of community your community, the people who join your membership, the people in the lab, those are the people that appreciate my work the most and also are like my biggest supporters. So you can get feedback in there so quickly that's so Mm -hmm. rich because they know you and they know your work and they know what you're trying to accomplish and they want you to win. Or you can do things like this where you just do co-working in public with the community. And one it's helping holding you accountable to actually being consistent. Two, they're like, holy shit, I can see behind the scenes of how neville does this
1: although believe it or not the the, the community co-working is the least popular thing i do <laughs> yeah by far like
0: by far by far
1: yeah very uh-huh. few people actually show up because no one wants to watch you just working for two hours
0: <laughs> well they got to be working too
1: maybe it maybe yeah there's maybe they don't be the like same a problem. core group that showed There was like six people that showed up last time they all stayed the whole time it was great
0: yeah, <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'll direct people to copywriting course in the outro, but Neville, thanks for being here.
1: Thank you. I wish we could talk more. I would love to have you on my podcast too. And normally I try to leave a ton of time for these interviews and I was just stupid and booked something right after this today, but man, this is a great conversation. Uh, shout out to uh, Dan McDermott who introduced me to you through Twitter, by yes. the way, a Twitter intro. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So Shout out to Dan. Great to meet you. You're doing cool
0: stuff. It still boggles my mind that creators can earn millions of dollars from a single online course or product but people like Neville have it figured out. If you want to learn more about Neville, you can visit his website at copywritingcourse.com or he is at NevMed on Twitter. Links to both are in the show notes. Thanks to Neville for being on the show. Thank you to Connor Connaboy for editing this episode and Nathan Tonhunter for mixing our audio. Thank you to Brian Skeel for creating our music and Emily Klaus for creating our artwork. If you enjoyed this episode, tag me on Twitter at jklaus and let me know. i love to hear it. And if you really want to say thank you, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you next week.